The Amazing Beauty of Creation is brought to you by CompuKids. CompuKids is an online technology academy for kids. CompuKids offers courses like game development, coding, app development, graphic design, and animation, all especially designed for kids. The CompuKids courses are all available as downloadable multimedia ebooks. CompuKids will help you to prepare your child for the fourth industrial revolution by providing them with valuable technology skills. Support the show by visiting www.compukids.me. That's .me. Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to a brand new episode of ABC, The Amazing Beauty of Creation. I'm your host Bilal Katrada. And I'm your co-host Talha Katrada. And together, today we're going to talk about some of the strangest, strangest of Allah Ta'ala's creation. These creations have no place in any classification system. Scientists across the world are just mind-boggled as to where exactly these creatures should fit. There's something between plants and animals. They look like plants. They behave like animals. But no one really knows how they got there. This again shows that Allah Ta'ala has some very weird ways of showing human beings that He's there. That He's present. That He created everything. And He's there behind the scenes. And for those that try to disprove his existence, then it's creatures like this that actually puts them into a corner. It really stumps them. And this creature that I'm talking about, or we're going to talk about today, is the Venus flytrap. Carnivorous plants. Plants that eat animals. Now before we get into uh, the the Venus flytrap, before we understand this creature, this plant, this thing, it's important to understand why it's so confusing for scientists, why it's mind-boggling as its very existence is, is mind-boggling. Its existence is mind-boggling because you have creatures, animals, bugs, rodents that will either eat plants or other animals. And they they you know, they, they go uh, uh, you know, about their lives in this way. And when it comes to plants, plants get their nutrients from the soil and they create energy using photosynthesis from the, from the sun. And that's the normal, uh, the, the, the normal uh, behavior, if you can call it, of plants. This is the way plants operate. But then suddenly you come and you see this hybrid thing that, if evolution was a thing, if evolution was, was correct, this thing should never have existed. There is no way ever that evolution can explain a plant like this, a plant that eats bugs. Because that, that raises lots and lots of questions, like the chicken and the egg type of questions. Like, what came first? Did the plant come first or did the bug come first? And if this plant had to evolve... How does it evolve digestive juices like we're going to talk about now in its uh, in its in its body in its I don't know what do you call it in its system where does the digestive juices come from where does the tactics come from where does a spring loaded 
uh, leaf uh, come from. And we're going to discuss all that. I don't want to give away too much. So, I mean, these this whole series of carnivorous plants is just a conundrum for, for scientists. Wouldn't you say that? It, correct, it is. And it's because these plants break the rules of nature, as you mentioned. You know, generally you have plants that are producers and they create energy. I mean, they create their own food from the soil and sun and water. Then you've got one level above them. You have uh, your consumers, your primary consumers. So these will be your herbivores that will eat the plants. And then above them, you have your secondary consumers, which are predators that will hunt those primary consumers. So that's the natural order of things. You've got plant, you've got huja producers, then you've got your primary consumers and your secondary consumers. But these group of plants, they decided to jump from the bottom of the food chain, to from the being top. producers, all the way to the top. Which now is they, are, they are secondary consumers that instead of being eaten by animals, they eat animals. They eat animals. And you know when yeah. you think about it, when, when they talk about the evolutionary process, right? In the evolutionary process, there's a slow and gradual change that takes place over time. Now, if you look at this plant, its dependency on these bugs, on these creatures that it eats, means that there's no way that it could have gradually evolved. Otherwise, it would have starved to death. It would have gone extinct. That means it, was, it just came into existence completely ready to do what it was. Otherwise... If it took time evolving these mechanisms for trapping and digesting its prey, let's say it took a good couple of million years, how was that even possible? Because, I mean, this plant would have would have died because uh, it, it hadn't perfected its way of catching these creatures. So that's why scientists uh, are in a conundrum when it comes to, well, particularly scientists that try to, uh, you know, uh, cling on to this idea of uh, evolution. But anyways, let's uh, let's dive straight in. The, the Venus flytrap, let's start with, um, with what it does best, what it eats, how it detects a creature, and how it does what it does. Let's talk about that. Okay, so the Venus flytrap is famous because it, I mean, there, there's quite a few uh, carnivorous plants, but the Venus flytrap is the most uh, famous, most widely known. And... It's famous because of its diet. It doesn't produce its own food, although it can it can uh, produce its own food from sunlight and nutrients from the soil. But it gets most of its nutrients from insects. So ants are, are, are probably its most common uh, food item, but it will eat even things like flies and spiders and even small frogs that, that land on, on its leaves. It, it will eat them as well. And it's it, this this fly trap. It's completely mind-boggling when you think about it, because when you think about a creature that that hunts other creatures, it's got so many senses. It can see, it can detect, and and that's how it locates and attacks, identifies and and attacks its prey. But a plant doesn't have any of those senses. It can't see. It it doesn't. It can't hear. So it's it's truly fascinating the way that it manages to to detect and that is fascinating. Prey. It's something that we, we we often overlook. We don't think about it. I mean, creatures have an advantage of senses that they can see and hear and and feel. Like, you know, when we spoke about the spider, the the, the spider that sets the the trip switch uh, traps. You know, it, it puts its leg on the on the thread, and when a creature crosses the thread it actually feels that vibration but these plants don't have any of that 
Correct, yeah. and so it it just makes them all the more fascinating. So in, instead of having like sensors like we have, you see Venus flytraps. If if anyone's ever seen one, you see it's it's like a, a bear trap almost. It has these two leaves that lay open, and it waits for a creature to land in between those two leaves, and then it snaps shut, and and locks the prey in, and then it. It'll, it'll digest it eventually from there. Now, the way it detects whether a creature has landed on it or not is that on either of those leaves, there are three tiny little hairs. Uh, they, they title them as trigger hairs. All right. Just and like the trigger spider I mentioned. Correct. And those trigger hairs are, are very, very sensitive. So they detect whenever they are touched. And when they are touched, then obviously the plant will snap shut. But the thing is that how does it know that it's not some a raindrop or a piece of dust or debris that was carried by the wind? Good question. How? It's an ingenious, it's very simple design that it has, but it's ingenious. You see, what happens is when one of those hairs are triggered, the plant sort of gets ready to shut, but it doesn't shut just yet. Only if another hair is triggered within 20 seconds of the first trigger will the plant shut. Wow. So it that's a safeguard against it, you know, just unnecessarily just, wow. shutting every time there's Where's a Where's the timer? I mean, does it have a timer inside it? It's does sort it? of a very, from what, I mean, we don't understand much about this plant from a scientific point of view, but from what we do understand, there's some crazy mechanics going on in there. My mind is blown. I mean, let's let's just pause here. Let's just pause and think about the greatness of Allah Ta'ala now. Let's just pause and think about how mighty and how beautiful is his design. And although we don't really think of Allah Ta'ala in these terms, but think of the creativity that went into, into creating this, this plant, the infinite wisdom and creativity of creating this. I mean, trigger hairs. First one triggers, nothing happens, within 20 seconds, second one. I'm, I, I, can't, I can't wrap my mind around that. I'm, I'm having difficulty wrapping my mind around that because this plant doesn't have... A, a timer inside. It doesn't have a digital timer or some electronic uh, gadget that's that's measuring. But somehow it measures the time uh, space between that. And the very mechanism of these two triggers, how does it detect a real and actual prey rather than, than some debris or raindrops like you mentioned? I mean, even that is, is a marvel. It's a marvel of creation. I think that enough is, is, uh, is sufficient to... To say to anybody, to prove to anybody without a doubt that there is a creator and he is amazing. Really. Okay, please do continue. What happens after the, the, the trigger is uh, activated? Okay, so then the plant will snap shut to, to lock anything that was in, in between those leaves inside. But that raises another question. How does a plant shut so rapidly? I mean, with, with animals, we have muscles that we control with our nerves. All right, plants don't have muscles. Plants don't have muscles. They Good just... question. So this, again, is an ingenious design. We don't understand much of how it works, but in recent years, there were a few breakthroughs that helped us to get a bit of an understanding about, about these plants. And uh, it might sound a bit confusing because I don't think there's any simple way to, to explain it, but I'll try my best. So you see those plants, they have leaves, right? Those those parts that, that shut close are actually leaves. Now, on the inside of those leaves, or the part that's gonna be, that, that the creature is going to land on, there are cells, and on the back of those leaves, there are also cells. 
so on either side on the front and on the back now the part that is on the front where the creature is going to land the cells there when the plant is open when the trap is is open those cells are filled with water they fill to capacity with water all right and the cells on the reverse end have very very little water in them so there's an imbalance and that imbalance causes the plant to open and it causes the if you look at a venus flytrap that that soft part where the creatures land will have a, a like a, a convex shape right so like a little bump there now when those hairs are triggered when when the first one is triggered it creates a small electric charge very similar to how our nerves work you know mm-hmm. our nerves work with electric signals as well and uh, but that electric charge isn't strong enough to to trigger a reaction just yet and within 20 or so seconds that electric charge slowly fades away until it disappears right but while that electric charge is there if another hair is triggered it sparks another electric charge and those charges combined trigger a, a reaction so those two charges are perfectly uh not just timed but they they perfectly tuned to be able to uh trigger that that movement you, you you know what i'm saying i mean it's not too much it's not too little it's just enough to trigger that that uh that mechanism that uh, controls the the leaves okay and then what happens all right so once that second electric charge is triggered and that that sparks a reaction and what happens is that tiny little pores in the walls of those cells that are waterlogged open and water rushes from those cells that have a lot of water into the cells that have very little water hmm. and that happens until a a balance is reached so where both the cells are now equal have equal amounts of water oh, wow and that happens so rapidly and that balance is created so quickly that it causes the plant to snap shut it creates a balance so instead of forcing the leaves open they snap shut right so it's uh, basically the creator implemented a hydraulic system inside exactly. these leaves exactly so it's it's not at all similar to to muscles like you closing and opening your hand or a creature grabbing something it's like a hydraulic system very similar to how catapults would work correct there's correct. an imbalance of pressure and then once that that pressure is released and there's a balance it snaps shut awesome so this th- is amazing that this works is so amazing it is it's like an actual hydraulic system in in a plant that you see and unbelievable completely fascinating okay so once it uh, once it traps the, the the prey what happens next okay so initially nothing happens so the plant snaps shut the concave the convex uh, shape of its leaves turn to a concave shape so it sort of creates a, a hollow in between the leaves all right and that's where the creature will sit but the plant doesn't shut all the way it shuts almost all the way but it leaves a little bit open now this is again a, a safeguard against wasting energy so if it was a piece of dust that landed on its leaves and it accidentally triggered it that dust will fall off now or if it was a, a really small creature that wasn't really worth digesting it will be able to escape it will be able to wiggle free and escape from the plant and that saves the plant the trouble of digesting wasting the energy to digest this creature and the time obviously and the time and they're not really getting much nutrients in return so the plant doesn't shut all the way it shuts just 
it leaves a little crack open. Ingenious. Now, it'll close the rest of the way if those hairs continue to be triggered. So if it receives five more triggers, then only it shuts it shuts all the way. This oh, will wow. like if you think about it, if it keeps receiving triggers, that means that there is something trapped inside there and that thing is frantically running around trying to escape but it's unable to. And that poor creature is none the wiser. It'll just keep it'll try to struggle its way out of there. But in struggling it it's actually it dooming itself. Wow. Exactly. Now the plant will shut and it will shut all the way this time once it receives those extra triggers. And it actually becomes like an airtight compartment in there. This is to allow, obviously, the digestive juices to work, but it also allows, or it prevents bacteria from entering that stomach. And it stops the plant from ingesting that bacteria or that bacteria from starting to decay its prey item. Wow, okay. I mean, so the creature doesn't start rotting in, in the plant because that rot could affect the plant as well. Correct. Brilliant. Unbelievable. Now, once that that its jaws are closed it becomes airtight and it essentially becomes like a stomach where it behaves very similarly to to a creature's stomach so it's closed it's airtight then the plant starts to pump uh these digestive juices these digestive enzymes into into that that pouch and those enzymes start to break down that creature or whatever creature it caught and uh, then obviously it will absorb all of the nutrients that that creature has dissolved into. All right. Now, this process takes about 5 to 12 days generally in, in Venus flytraps. Which and explains why the, the plant doesn't want to digest a creature that's too small and it lets the little ones exactly. uh, escape because, I mean, 12 days later the plant is, is, has digested that prey and it's, it's unsatisfied. That's, that's actually quite bad. I mean, think about this. How does a plant figure all these things out on its own? How does a plant figure out what is the ideal size of bug that is enough to satisfy its hunger and anything smaller to remain open and let it escape? You know, when you really think about these things, you can see Allah's hand behind it. You can see the Creator's hand. You can see the Creator, uh, his, 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 his greatness in something as simple as, well, not quite as simple as a Venus flytrap. Really, really amazing. Now tell me something. Are they dangerous to humans? Fortunately, not. They are a very, very small plant. They don't grow more than a couple centimeters off the ground. So uh, they won't even get big enough to to eat a small bird. So there's no way that they're going to harm a person. You'd even step over one completely and not even realize it. Okay, that's a relief. That is, it's... So it's it's not a threat to human. Like, unlike most of the things we discuss on this show, this plant actually has no possible way of harming a human. Now, is it possible to, to get one in South Africa, to buy one and keep it as a uh, pet? I don't know. What Do you call it a pet? Is it a plant? Is it an animal? I don't know. It's don't somewhere know. between a house plant and a, and a pet. And I know they, especially in America where they are indigenous, they're actually found in a very, very small region in, in, in North America, just uh, in these coastal regions around North and South Carolina only. Right. They don't get them anywhere else. Nowhere and else in the world? Nowhere else. Wow, okay. And there in America, I know they are quite popular. Uh, I'm going to say pets, but they're not actually pets. But uh, They're quite uh, popular plants, and a lot of people like to keep them and breed them, and even get people who specialize in trying to breed bigger ones 
So, like, the bigger the plant, then the better quality it is. I mean, it'll be quite good when you've got a bit of a fly problem, right? Because you just put a few of these and they they sit by and trap flies all day. That'll be so cool. I wonder if we can get one. We need to do some some homework I'm sure we that. can get someone to import it and they actually while I was researching this episode I came across a couple of forums of people who grow these plants and it's really quite interesting and occasionally someone posts something that their plant has trapped and this one post I found particularly funny was this plant somehow caught a lizard all right but it it, it wasn't big enough to completely uh, cover up the lizard or completely hold the lizard so it just had like the lizard's back legs trapped and the rest of the lizard was was sticking out. Now, fortunately, the lizard was strong enough to escape. But okay. it's just something I don't know. I found that a bit it's comedic. Yeah. <laughs> this plant managed to trap and and hold the lizard for a little while. I mean, that's the other danger. I mean, a, a, a prey that's too big can escape, and a prey that's too small is just not worth it. So, I mean, you know, if you think about how precariously these plants are, are positioned in the food chain, that it needs the precise precisely correct size of of prey i mean imagine if we were like that right uh, you you go to a a fruit tree for example and we can only eat a certain ty- size of fruit nothing bigger nothing smaller and only that is what we need to suffice on how would we survive yet these plants have survived for tens of thousands of years in the tiny area that they uh, that they uh, thrive in it's such a small part of the world. It's it's crazy to even think how these plants made it this far. But again, we see the beauty of the Creator. He provides. Even these little creatures that have such a specific diet, such a precise diet, they have no way of moving around. They just sit there. They have no senses. And the food comes to them. The right, precisely correct size of, of food. And they, they receive the nourishment. You know, we often worry about about our income, we, we worry about sustenance. But here's an example of a creature that's receiving its sustenance despite what we might perceive as major drawbacks. But it's taken care of. Amazing, really, really amazing. All right, to round up, we actually are running out of time. We've got about a half a minute left. Uh, what are there, are there other types of, um, of carnivorous plants? There are, there are quite a few types of carnivorous plants found uh, across the world. Uh, there are, and there are different types. So you get some that, I forget the terminology for them, but they sort of shape like a tube. And, creature, and that tube fills up with water, and then creatures fall in that tube, and that's how the, the plant catches its food. Okay, so that water has some digestive enzy- enzymes. Correct. It sinks to the bottom, and then that's where it gets digested. Then you get a second category, which is fly paper traps, they called, I think. And those are just like a sticky pad that creatures get stuck on and then they get digested that way. Okay, so I guess that's where the whole concept of sticky fly traps actually exactly. might, have, so might have come from. Nature did it first. Oh, and wow. then thirdly, you get your, your fly traps, which is like the Venus fly trap. And there's only one other plant in this category, which is, I think it's called the water wheel plant, which is like a Venus fly trap, but it grows underwater. And feeds on like small fish and crustaceans and things like that. Wow, that is so interesting. That is so interesting. I think we should put up some pictures on our Instagram uh, account of, of some of these uh, these plants. 
Folks, that's all we have time for today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. This has been one of my favorite, favorite episodes. I think you told me that before we started, and uh, you were right. This has been one of my favorites. I mean, anything that that makes me really think about the creator and really appreciate his his design and his his uh, ingenuity is always something that uh, personally appeals to me. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's been a great episode. Uh, just one other thing, we do have an Instagram account now. It's uh, at AB of Creation. AB of Creation. AB of Creation. So please follow us on Instagram and keep uh, checking our Instagram account. We're going to be putting up lots and lots of additional information on that Instagram account shortly. Anyways, that's all we have time for today. This has been another episode of ABC, The Amazing Beauty of Creation. I'm your host, Bilal Katrada. And I'm your co-host, Talha Katrada. And we'll catch you in the next episode.